Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Some of you are going to really resonate with this episode. We're going to be talking about compassion fatigue. And this goes to both a professional caregiver. Maybe you, you give a lot of care. I don't know. Maybe you're a nurse or a nanny or even a therapist. Or maybe you're a loved one and you're caring for your spouse or a child. You know how hard it can be and how emotionally draining it could be. Well, there's a term for that. It's compassion fatigue. And so today, this episode, we're going to talk about how to identify and manage compassion fatigue with Natasha D'Archangelo coming right up. Welcome to the Mental Health Today Show. My name is John Cordray, and I'm a licensed therapist, and I'm the host of the show, and I am so happy that you're here. I hope that you're tuning into this because maybe you're not experiencing compassion fatigue yet, but if you're caring for somebody and you're you're going through your schedule, maybe it's hard on your schedule, maybe it's draining to you, you may not be experiencing compassion fatigue yet, but it could happen. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's a gradual process. And so today I have a professional and a certified, and her name is Natasha. And Natasha is a licensed mental health counselor. She's licensed in three states, Florida, Oregon, and Washington. She is also a national, nationally certified counselor. She is a certified clinical trauma professional. She's a certified compassion fatigue professional and a compassion fatigue educator. And every one of those have letters to them. So she can't put all the letters behind her name because the entire alphabet, it just takes up too much room on a business card. (laughs) Accurate. Yeah, right. She's received her master's in arts in clinical mental health counseling from, what was that? Argosy. Argosy. Thank you. Argosy University, Sarasota. She works with adolescents and adults in her role as a staff therapist for Headspace Health. And her previous experience includes 15 years as an educator, community mental health work, and private practice. And she has presented on various topics, including destigmatizing mental health care, compassion fatigue, and effective techniques for working with teens. She's a public speaker. Wow, that is a mouthful. Natasha, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And I am always excited about having licensed individuals, but it's always that, how many credentials do you have? <laughs> right. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm the same. I'm the same. We should, we should never stop learning. That's right. I have a whole alphabet behind my name too. And so I, I get that. Well, Welcome, and I'm I'm really glad that you're here, and I appreciate you, you taking some time. And I, I really want to get right into the compassion fatigue. But before we get into that, I love hearing backstories of professionals and and kind of why 
Why did you get into compassion fatigue in the first place? Why did you become a therapist? So can you tell us a little bit of your backstory? Absolutely. So, well, the two, there are two different stories, but I'll go with the compassion fatigue one since that's what we're talking about today. It was back in March of 2020. And I realized COVID was going to be really bad. And I thought to myself, you know, we are going to end up with a generation of nurses struggling with PTSD. And that's not good for anybody. And God bless the nurses. I can't do that work. And I figured, how, how else could I support? And well, I can use my therapeutic skills. So I had partnered with a dean of nursing at a school in St. Pete here in Florida, and we were offering free support groups for nurses on weekends. And it just didn't feel like I was doing enough. And so me being me, I said, well, I need some training in this. And so I found this course on compassion fatigue, became a compassion fatigue professional, and it's really grown since then. And so I've, you know, I work with physicians, with nurses, with teachers, you know, with therapists, with, you know, anybody that's in a caregiving role is susceptible to compassion fatigue. And so it's kind of grown since then. And now that I have the knowledge that I have, I realize when I was working at the community mental health agency, I was knee deep in compassion fatigue. I just didn't know what it was. I didn't have the words for it. So it's kind of a twofold thing that's happened for me. Yeah. So can you define what compassion fatigue is? Absolutely. So the most commonly used definition was developed by Dr. Charles Figley back in 1995. And he identified compassion fatigue as comprised of two things, burnout plus secondary trauma. So the textbook definition is that it's a state of exhaustion and dysfunction biologically, psychologically, and socially as a result of prolonged exposure to compassion stress and all that it invokes. So it's a pretty broad definition, but it comes from doing work where your primary task is taking care of others. So burnout plus secondary trauma. That makes a lot of sense. And so you're saying that there are a lot of, lot of professionals. You mentioned nurses. We can add to that list of doctors. You mentioned therapists, even nannies. Nannies, educators. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of my clients, they do experience a lot of compassion fatigue as well. I talk to a lot of nurses and doctors and educators. I actually worked in a school system for about four years during COVID and talk about fatigue. Now we were talking about the healthcare industry, but also the education. Oh, hundred percent. During COVID. And, and here all of a sudden we had teachers that they didn't sign up for what was happening with COVID. And, and now all of a sudden we have to go online, which creates a whole nother, another, I would say trauma. And then when the kids I worked with had extreme trauma. And so here are teachers who are trying to educate students who had trauma. This is before COVID. Then COVID hits. And now all of a sudden, everybody has to go online and they're trying to figure out how do I, how do I teach a class on a computer? Which they hadn't done before. Exactly. 
And, you know, our teachers are already overworked and underpaid. Yes, absolutely. And and then I talk with nurses and, and doctors. And I just I just had a doctor on not long ago on my show, and he was an ER doctor, physician in New York, right when everything hit with COVID. And he was just describing how hard it is for for doctors and, and then and nurses and then to lose patients. Yes. And that's the thing is they, of course, we know that at some point you're going to lose a patient, but not at this volume. Right. And, and for a lot of the caregivers, they were losing patients, but in his case, he lost a loved one, someone in his family. And so now he is trying to grieve and work and save people's lives at the same time. And so compassion fatigue, it's, it's not just educators. It's not just the healthcare profession. It's really anybody who takes care of other people. And when we sometimes it's things that we take on ourselves, we do too much work, but there are some things outside of our control that really weigh us down. So what are some things that you have seen? Kind of give us an idea of a, a person that maybe a professional that you're working with. What are some things? some signs that you would maybe talk to somebody and say, here are some signs of compassion fatigue. Absolutely. So before I get into symptoms, there is a fantastic tool that is out there for free. It is the ProQOL, P-R-O-Q-O-L-5. They're on the fifth iteration right now. And it's a really nice tool that you can use to objectively measure your symptoms of compassion fatigue. Yep, it's got two subscales. It measures your compassion satisfaction. That's the good stuff about what we do. That's the stuff that keeps us coming back. And then it also measures compassion fatigue with two subscales of burnout and secondary traumatic stress, which again are those two necessary ingredients for compassion fatigue. So if anybody's looking for a resource, the ProQOL. Hands down, readily available on the website. You can print it out. They have it available where you can actually just click through the questions. I'll do that sometimes in session with a client and we get the answers in real time. So fantastic tool. Oh, that's great. Thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. They do great research. So, and all of the literature on compassion fatigue mentions the ProQOL5. So, you know, it's been well researched. But the the thing with I want to break it down into the secondary traumatic stress and burnout pieces. So with secondary traumatic stress, that comes when we are either witnessing or interacting with traumatized or suffering people. So we're kind of, we're listening to those narratives over and over and over again. Think about law enforcement. Think about our first responders, therapists, things like that, right? The symptoms are nearly identical to post-traumatic stress disorder, especially when you look at those subcategories of intrusion. That's when you're having the thoughts that you don't want to be having. So maybe it's the end of your shift, right? You're an emergency room physician, but you can't stop thinking about, I don't know, maybe like a six-year-old that you saw that day. You don't want to be thinking about it, but those thoughts are intruding. And then there's also avoidance symptoms. So that's where you avoid things related to some of the narratives that you're hearing. So maybe there's things that you're avoiding, places that you don't want to go. 
We, and, and you mentioned this at the outset, and I'm so glad you did, we usually don't notice when we're struggling with secondary traumatic stress. It's the people around us that are saying things like, you know, you never accept my dinner invitations anymore, or I've been trying to call you, but I can't get in touch with you. You know, we kind of go into this isolation and it happens so gradually, we typically don't pick up on it. So that's the secondary traumatic stress piece of things. And then there's the burnout piece of things. And your symptoms there, you're looking at things like anxiety, compulsive behaviors. Sometimes we're struggling with increased substance use. That can be a giveaway. Maybe you're feeling hopeless. You're, you're not working the way that you used to. You're not as productive. You want to quit your job. You're not sleeping well. You're fatigued. You're nervous all the time. Or maybe you feel numb. So those are some of the common ones. Irritability is actually another one that I get a lot from folks. Well, I think those are some really good things to look for. And I'm sure when people are listening to that, they're checking off in their mind. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that That's me. That's me. That's me. And, you know, when I think of a mom or a dad, when they have a lot of kids and they're running back and forth, back and forth and are scheduled or super busy and whether they're taking a, a child to soccer or some other game practice and all these other things, these activities, and then maybe something happens in their family. And then all of a sudden a tragedy, maybe it's an accident. Maybe it's a, a horrible diagnosis medically. Now all of a sudden that busy family is interrupted and now they have to switch gears and now they have to pay a lot of attention. Let's say it's a child. Now, a lot of the tension is on that child trying to take care of that child. And what can happen, I'm just envisioning this in, in my mind, that that could really interfere and, and inhibit the marriage. Oh, absolutely. The relationship with the other kids. And so we can't control bad things from happening in our lives. We don't want things like that to happen, but they do. I just had, a, I have a client just recently this week and last week. Everything was fine until someone ran a red light and they, everybody in the family got in an accident. It was fine. And, and then now all of a sudden that traumatic event, it just, they're trying to take care of their kids and it's exhausting. And they're trying to manage their own grief while they're trying to help their kids. And this is something that's very important to be able to identify it and to then not only identify it, but to say, you know what? I think I need help. Yes, that's the huge part. That is the huge part. And I think that for folks that are professional caregivers, there often is a stigma with that, right? I can't tell you how many nurses and physicians I spoke to who, when they came to me, were in a place where they were, they were ashamed. They were ashamed that they were coming to me because what they would tell me is, they're hearing things like, well, you signed up for this. Didn't you expect that this was going to happen? Educators, unfortunately, hearing the same thing. And yes, we, we signed up for this. We, we understand that we're here to help people. And also, we're human. We deal with tough things. And it's hard to do this work without being impacted by it. I mean, think about it. Why do you go into a caregiving field? Because you, you care about other people, you want to help them, right? And so in some ways, we're almost more predisposed to developing compassion fatigue 
because we care about what we do. So, you know, I hope that that folks can take away if you are a caregiver and some of this stuff is resonating with you, it's okay to go talk to somebody. It doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. It doesn't mean that you're failing in some way. It means that you're human. And at some point or another, we all need help. That's okay. I don't think I could have said that any better. You're exactly right. And sometimes we need to hear that, that we're humans. We're humans too. We might be a professional caregiver, but we are people too. And we hurt and we get exhausted. Sometimes I know, <laughs> I know that we can be sometimes the worst patients. Yeah, <laughs> accurate. Right. We can tell people what they should do and work on, but as caregivers, we tend to not follow our own advice. And that's something that when I talk with nurses, it's the same thing. It's like, now, what would you tell your patients? Okay, you're right. Then you get the eye roll. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but it's so true. And we're so much wanting to do something for others and, and go out of our way and really sacrifice in order to help someone else. But when we do that, when we give away a lot of our energy and our emotions and our time, it can wear on us. And that's something that we want to pay attention to. And if you're a therapist, you know this, but you need to hear this, that what are you doing right now? Are you taking time for yourself to manage your compassion fatigue? And so this is a really good segue. Natasha, to talk a little bit about what are some ways that we can manage this compassion fatigue? Absolutely. And I'm so glad <laughs> to talk about this piece. So when I, when I do speaking engagements on this, I walk folks through, if I have time, I'll have them take the ProQOL real time. But if not, I also have them do their ACEs. So the adverse childhood experiences, 10 questions. And it gives you a baseline for potential areas of trauma, abuse, or neglect that you could have experienced before the age of 18. Because something that I think we don't often think about is how our past traumas impact us in present day. Not a conscious process. We don't wake up in the morning and decide that that's what's going to happen. But, you know, as Dr. Vander Kolk wrote, the body keeps the score, right? And so that's true. So what oftentimes ends up happening with, I'll use therapists as an example. I present most often to therapists. You may be sitting in a session with a client and they are recounting a story to you of something from their childhood. Let's call it abuse. And their abuse story is very similar to your abuse story. What's happening in your nervous system is your body is going into fight, flight, or freeze. Not because you want it to, but because you have painful past learning around that. You've got your past traumas coming into play. And so when you're doing caregiving work in a body that's in panic mode, you're re-traumatizing yourself through the act of doing the work that you do. So the first part is to recognize and acknowledge that we all bring things into our caregiving work with us. All of us, every single one of us has had painful past learning around something. Maybe it's perfectionism from childhood. Maybe it was some kind of abuse. 
Maybe it was some kind of medical trauma. And also, there are things that happen after the age of 18 as well. The ACEs captures things before the age of 18. But those traumas compound upon themselves. And the more traumas that you experience, the likelier it is that in any given situation, your nervous system is responding with fight, flight, or freeze. So the key to this is self-regulation. And if listeners are not familiar with the work of Dr. Eric Gentry, it's E-R-I-C. G-E-N-T-R-Y. Cannot recommend his work highly enough. That's who I've done the bulk of my trauma training with. That's who I did my compassion fatigue training with. He's been researching this for over 25 years. His most recent publication is Forward-Facing Professional Resilience. It's Prevention and Resolution of Burnout, Toxic Stress, and Compassion Fatigue. And what he does is he, he walks you through the process of being able to recognize when is your stress response initiating. So think about it. Think about a situation that makes you stressed out. I'll give you an example. You're running late, right? We're trying to get the kids out of the house for school. Somebody spills orange juice all over the floor of the kitchen. So the dog is now going crazy and you decided to wear a white shirt that day. <laughs> Which in hindsight was a horrible idea because now you spilled your coffee all down the front of your shirt, right? I think that for most people, that would initiate a stress response for them. My guess is that what would probably happen is your muscles would tense up. You would probably yell at your child. You would probably yell at the dog. And now you're running around in, in panic mode and no nothing seems to be getting done. You're running but getting nowhere, right? Super common everyday response. Is that life-threatening though? It's not life-threatening. It is inconvenient. It is annoying. It is something you wish had not happened, but it's not actually life-threatening in that present moment. And if it's not life-threatening in that present moment, you don't need your panic response. And so you can break your universe down into two categories. It's either a real threat, which means you're literally about to die, or it's a perceived threat. And the bulk of your universe is perceived threat. The reason that we respond in situations like this one with, you know, my, my frantic morning example, the reason that we respond with our panic mode is you have painful past learning around being late. Something happened to you somewhere along the way that where your nervous system learned that you being late leads to bad things happening. And so you're panicking about it. But if you take a step back, you can actually teach your nervous system how to process things through the lens of, is it a real threat or is it a perceived threat? And then the next step is relaxing into your body. So there's a few different body relaxation techniques you can use. They take five seconds. That's all you need to reset your system. So as soon as you feel your muscles tense up, you can do a really quick body scan. Become aware of where your muscles are tense and just try to soften them. Let them go. In my situation that I made up, as annoyed as you are, you are also not in immediate life-threatening danger. You can relax into your body. And if you relax into your body, a few things are going to happen. You're not going to yell at your kid because you and I both know you're going to regret it when you yell at your kid. You're not going to yell at your dog feel worse off sometimes when you yell at the dog, the faces that they make. 
And what's going to happen is you're going to regulate. And then you're going to have you're going to have the words to say to your child, let's get a mop and let's go go grab the paper towels. We need to clean this up. We're already running late for school. And when you walk away from that situation, you're not going to regret the way that you behaved. Yeah. It comes down to your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. Your sympathetic nervous system controls those automatic responses. You don't think about moving your hand away from a hot stove, right? Most of us spend a lot of time with our sympathetic nervous system making our decisions. But if you can regulate, you can let your parasympathetic nervous system make your decisions for you. And what ends up happening is you have better relationships with everybody in your life. Yeah? Because if you don't yell at your child in that moment and you get yourself into a relaxed body, maybe, maybe they even see you take a deep breath. You're showing them how to regulate. What a wonderful gift is that? We don't oftentimes teach our kids how to do these things, but you can absolutely model for them. And what ends up happening is you're going to build better, healthier relationships, not just with your kids, but with your romantic partners, with your friends, with your co-workers, pretty much with everybody. And I think that's so important because when we react and we're reacting to a situation and the little hypothetical explanation there, the scenario, I could just envision it because I've had things like that happen. It just felt like Murphy's Law all day. That always had to happen. And I definitely had my levels of stress go up and I could just feel it in my body. But you're exactly right. Basically, what you're saying is we need to slow everything down, be mindful of how we're feeling in our body, because when we tense up, it's going to show up in our body and to be focused and really focus on our breath. So there's breathing, different types of breathing exercises you can do. There's specific grounding exercises. So it's about slowing down and being mindful. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so important when we, a lot of us are rushing around every day. Yeah. Well, and you know, the other thing is so many of us spend so much time disconnected from our bodies. You know, we're busy and we have a lot of things going on. I mean, have you, have you ever driven home and you pulled into your driveway of no idea how you got there, right? There you are. You're disconnected from your body. And so if we start paying attention to what's happening, let me tell you, your body knows what's going on. Your nervous system is sending up your, your oil change light is on. Okay. Your, your body is letting you know what's happening, but we get so good at ignoring those messages. I'm too busy. I don't have time. Right. But if you can just take it, the whole process takes less than five seconds. I mean, you know, no more than 10 seconds at a maximum. So in that moment, you recognize, Ooh, I just tensed up. Or I just had this rush of rage go through my body or my heart just started pounding. Those are some of the warning signs your body sends you. You can recognize, you know what, though, this is a perceived threat. I am not in immediate life threatening danger. And then you relax the muscles of your body and you can switch over out of panic mode and be much better able to handle whatever situation you are in. And now it does take practice. Here's the thing. It's not going to happen the first time because for a lot of people, the clients that I work with, I'm asking them to undo 20, 30, 40 years of learning. 
right? Right. If you've got extensive trauma going back to your childhood, you've probably been in panic mode for the last 40 years, <laughs> you know, and, and I come along and I'm like, you need to relax into your body. And, and, and most of my clients look at me panicky, like, oh, no, 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 no. That is not the answer here, you know, but it's true. And what happens is when you regulate and when you start regulating more often, you end up feeling so much more comfortable because your body is a wonderful thing. It also was not designed to be in panic mode all the time. You know, we literally are not built to do that, right? And so if you can give your nervous system a little bit of a break, you can see that there's a different way of doing things. I love that. I love that. So thank you so much for just helping us learn to identify and also manage the compassion fatigue not just for the professionals, but for really anyone who is caring for a loved one. It's hard work. And we want to acknowledge that. We want to, sometimes we, we do the hard work for others and there's not much acknowledgement. And so I, I want to acknowledge that you are working hard. Thank you for what you're doing. If you're caring for a loved one, thank you. If you're a professional and you're caring for a lot of people, thank you. And sometimes we just need to hear that. And that can make a big difference, too. Oh, absolutely. Support also is so huge. I just presented at the myositis conference last week. It happened here in Orlando. And I encouraged everybody in the room to connect with somebody else in the room because I was in a room full of caregivers. Nobody else is going to get it the way that the folks that are doing the same thing get it. Right. And it's okay for you to have that connection with other people. You know, maybe take today as a jumping off point, do a little bit of looking into compassion fatigue and talk to somebody about it, you know, and you can be each other's kind of gauges. Hey, I've noticed you've been feeling a little bit more irritable lately, or you seem extra tired, you know, just wanted to check in what's going on. We all need that. No, nobody else gets it the way that other people that are doing what you do get it. Right. Been there and done that. That's exactly right. Well, one last question I want to ask you here in a moment. But before I get to that, I know there might be some people that are interested in maybe reaching out to you. And I know you are in the process of making your, creating your website and what would be, if someone's listening to this, the best way to reach out to you? You are more than welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I am at Natasha Darkangelo. So it's D apostrophe A-R-C-A-N-G-E-L-O. Feel free to send me a message if you've got any further questions or if I mentioned a resource that went by too quickly, or if you're interested in having me present you know, more than happy to get the word out about compassion, fatigue, and burnout. Excellent. And I will I will put your LinkedIn info in the show notes as well. So let's make it easy. <laughs> all right. Getting to my question, Natasha, one of the questions I like to ask all of my guests, and it goes right along with what we're talking about. I talk a lot about self-care. I'm curious to know what are a few things that you do for your self-care? I love this question. So. I self-regulate. Once I started learning how to do this stuff, I started self-regulating. I do it every day. Some days I am better at it than others, 
but I am much better able to differentiate now. When am I in a real threat and when am I in a perceived threat? And then I relax into my body. And it has made the work that I do so much more enjoyable. I'm not exhausted all the time anymore. And that's made a huge difference. And what that has allowed me to do is give me enough energy to do things like I like to color. Coloring is one of my go-tos. I also have a therapy dog and Celeste and I go around Orlando and we actually were at a local hospital on Wednesday and I get so much fulfillment from being able to share her joy with other folks and just seeing how she's a little 10 pound multi-poo and I, I may be biased, but she's the cutest dog in the universe. And, and just to see the look on their faces when I knock on the door and say, hey, do you want to visit from the therapy dog? I mean, that just, it just feeds my soul. So those are some of my, some of my coping skills that, that I really, you know, I regulate every day, some days better than others. And I love to color and, you know, sharing Celeste, the therapy dog with the world also is another good self-care thing for me. Wow. That sounds fantastic. Thank you for sharing those with us. So I'm going to let you go here, but just want to thank you so much for coming on, taking the time and, and telling us what you do. And I can tell you're very passionate about this. Yes, absolutely. I just, I feel like so many caregivers walk around you know, feeling burned out and questioning if they just need to quit. And you don't, you don't, there's another way of doing this. We don't have to get burned out by the work that we do. And to all the caregivers out there, we need you. We need you. And so please make sure that you're taking care of you. If nothing else comes of this, take today as, as the sign that you were waiting for, that you need to be taking better care of you. Yes, that's right. Well, thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You're you're welcome. You're very welcome. And I want to thank all of you for listening and spending some time, whatever you're doing, wherever you're at. I appreciate you so, so much. And I want you to continue to work on your mental health, whatever that looks like. And I always want to encourage you to do at least 1% more today than you did yesterday. Well, that's all today. And I want to remind you that the Mental Health Today show has been championing your mental health since 2015. Take care, my friends. Bye-bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.